0: hello marvelites you are listening to marvel's polis we're going to talk about some new comics released on august 26 2020 i'm ryan Pagos, aka agent m and i'm tucker marcus tucker tell everyone about your haircut
1: okay this is what's happening i am in the wonderful land of blairstown new jersey Because I'm here, I have an unusual recording situation. Because I do, I'm backlit terribly, which gives off the impression that I have this, like, Mr. T-style mohawk situation, which I do not. Do I wish I did? Yes. (laughs) Um, But uh, maybe it's just the general vibe that I get when I'm here, where I'm just kind of like more of a uh, kind of like a corn-fed tough guy. uh, That is uh, kind of the vibe I'm giving off. Maybe that's what it is. not the lighting
0: (laughs) uh we have a lot of cool stuff to talk about today we got a lot of great comics new ones that are out this week as well as our reading club is going to be with writer philip kennedy johnson who uh we actually have a book of his to talk about in uh, empire captain america and we're going to be talking about some zombies some vampires and the reading club with him is uh three issues of captain america but uh, that's going to be really cool. We're going to get to that in a bit. First up, we got to talk about new books. Tucker, what's up first?
1: All right. First up, we have Arrow, number 10, which is written by Joe Lyfen with art by Kang, the adaptation written by Amy Chu, uh, and letters by VCs, Joe Caramagna. You know, it's been really gratifying to see uh, a story like this go on for 10 and now 10 and more issues. To really get the chance to get to know a new character like Arrow, or at least a a character new to the 616 like Arrow, uh, is really, really fun. This issue does some Uh, I think, really interesting things in terms of uh, the direction the story goes, the places that we go, sometimes in the mind, sometimes literally. Um, But I think uh, the colors on this issue uh, in particular, I think, are really, really excellent, really wonderfully done. And, uh, hey, we get uh, some Tony Stark action in this Arrow book, which is always so much fun. Uh, It's great to see the marriage of those kind of things, some of the stalwarts of... The Marvel Universe mixed in with a new character like Arrow it's uh, it's uh, a really unique dynamic and it's something I always love to see
0: heck yeah um, all right we have amazing spider-man number 47 out this week written by Nick Spencer art by Marcelo Ferreira inks by Roberto Poggi colors by David Curiel, and letters by VCs Joe Caramagna this is part three of sins rising uh, so you got Sin Eater and he is just chomp 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 munch 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 he is getting (laughs) real swole eating all these sins he's getting leveled up powered up he's got a small growing army one of the things that struck me about the art in particular in this issue were the way that marcello renders eyes and particularly when you're doing sin eater he's a character with a mask this like green mask and it covers all of his face except for the eyes and so there's a lot to be done and a lot that you can do with great acting in the eyes and man Marcel crushes it there's really cool stuff throughout this and you really like get drawn into the emotion and sort of the the horror and the terror that comes across from all that this is a weird and creepy issue
1: hey speaking of weird and definitely very good. Next up, we have Daredevil Annual number one. It's written by Chip Zadarsky with pencils by Manuel Garcia, inks by LeBeau Underwood. Uh, flashback art in this issue is by Chris Muniam, uh, and colors uh, throughout are by Rochelle Rosenberg. Letters by VC's Clayton Cowles. This was so much fun to read because, one, it's a Mike Murdoch story, uh, and there's always fascinating stuff to mine there. But two, just kind of the the precedent that's been set with Chips Daredevil Run and what kind of story that is, what kind of real gritty, um, mean streets type story that is, where um, you have everything going on with Matt and Matt's life, the struggle with the moniker of Daredevil, what that all means, and then you have this kind of you know this cop story that is so ingrained in that, and how that how that's been moving and, and shifting throughout, it's been incredible. This issue is so so different. Uh, And I loved it. It kind of embraces a stranger corner of things, a little bit more unusual, a little bit of more maybe the mystical side of things uh, in certain ways, which I really, really enjoyed. Um, It feels expansive in a way. Obviously, this is an annual, so this is a self-contained story as is. So you can tie it really as much as you like to Chip's main run. uh, Or if you're just diving in for this one, um, you're getting a great story here. Uh, but, um, as an aside, can't recommend that you do read the Daredevil main series, uh, enough, but, um, yeah, this is really, really interesting. It feels like I said, like an expansive move by Chip to say Daredevil can be that story. Daredevil can be that, you know, main series story that he's been telling, but it can also be this kind of story. It can also be an avenue for this kind of family drama, this kind of thing where we go into the past, where we get Battle and Jack Murdock, we get these different elements that I... Um, you know I'm just such a huge fan of as a fan of the kind of lore and long history of Daredevil Um, so it's a really really great achievement I I really loved it and I also got to give a shout out to the editorial team on this book because um, editor Devin Lewis, uh, assistant editor Danny Kazem um, and then uh, the main man Nick Lowe uh, I just feel like this book is perfectly cast especially Chris Muniam's art in here Mm -hmm. I love that flashback art I think it just hits such a pitch perfect tone it's a really really fun annual
0: yeah uh for anybody who doesn't know real quick who mike murdoch is he was originally a persona that matt put upon to uh sort of lie to his friends (laughs) back in the day it was his twin brother who wasn't blind it is a banana story and then uh, Charles Soul and crew came in and made Mike Murdoch kind of half real and like an entity that existed and so this picks up from all of that and it is wild it is so cool and figuring out how that fits in and then like I think of you mentioned how this is a one shot on its own and you, you can read this, however, but it does sort of slot into, mm-hmm. you know, the the sort of long box of your Daredevil comics. You can put this in because it feels like the end of this story is going to propel us into some really cool things in the main Daredevil series. I freaking love this issue, but I mean, that's standard. It's yeah. Daredevil. Uh, all right. Let's talk about Empire Avengers number three written by Jim Zub. Art by Carlos Magno, Colors by Espen Gruttenjern and Letters by VC's Ariana Mar. Oh, man. Like, I want Carlos Magno to just get all the awards. I want to create an award called the George Perez Award for freaking amazing detailing. And just, like, I, I don't think George would um, appreciate me using his name in such a way, but doesn't matter, because I want to <laughs> give it to a guy like Carlos, who does such incredible detail work in this issue i'm going to tell you this has probably the greatest double page spread with dinosaurs you'll see this year i don't i can't imagine anybody else topping this um but if there is a, a better one or something in contention y'all let me know it's cool we've got a bunch of different avenger squads fighting uh, the Kotati all around the world and dinosaurs aplenty
1: Oh, yeah. And hey, speaking of very detailed and very beautiful art, next up we have Empire Captain America number three. It's written by Philip Kennedy Johnson. Like you said, Ryan, uh, we'll be talking to Philip very soon on this episode. The art on this issue is by Ariel Olivetti. The colors are by Rochelle Rosenberg and letters are by VCs Ariana Mar. I love the pacing of this story. I love the kind of the the quiet entry that we get before this explosive Literally, you know, uh, living mountains-sized uh, story that we get in here. Um, one of my favorite elements of this tie-in series has been uh, the relationship between Captain America and the soldiers that he's fighting alongside. Uh, it is uh, something that feels—it just feels real. I don't—I re- don't really have a better way to say it. Um, but you feel like you're in the room there. You, you see the, the emotion shifting in the room. You see the weight of responsibility on these different characters' shoulders. And uh, it, it really, really hits home. It's a great achievement by all involved. Like I said, Ariel Olivetti, incredible, incredible, beautiful, detailed work. You have stuff, you know, like a, a close-up of Cap's face through to some kaiju-sized action that you just feel everything. You you know, you feel the scale of everything. You feel the size. You feel the ground rumbling underneath your feet. Um, It's really, really good stuff. Like I said, I think there's a great kind of arc to this story, uh, and those moments with Cap in particular really, really hit home. Um, Yeah, this uh, rockets us right into the final issue of Empire, Uh, And I really loved uh, this tie-in series. I thought it was great.
0: Uh, all right, let's talk about the next book, which is Fantastic Four Antithesis Number One. It is uh, by Mark Wade, the writer, and Neil Adams, the artist. Inks by Mark Farmer, Colors by Laura Martin, Letters by VC's Joe Caramagna. Uh, and this one is the first story, the first full length story ever illustrated by Neil Adams. Neil been in the comics game for, gosh, 60 years, 50 years. Um, very long time um, just been working everywhere and doing all kinds of stuff and uh, it's wild to think that he's never done a full Fantastic Four story so this feels like a lot of it is just Neil cracking his knuckles and just having fun with what the FF is and who they are the story is set in the past so it's got basically a time period is when Valeria was still a little baby Um, so it gives you a little bit of a frame of reference of when this takes place but it's Mark Wade as well. So you got pathos, you got emotion. You know, Neil's art gives you lots of body language and emotion and movement and a lot of acting and faces. And you really feel what these people are uh, going through. Uh, and Laura Martin is one of the best in the game. She is incredible. And it's great to see her art over Neil's. And it's, just, it's really good. The, the book looks gorgeous. And uh, it feels like a classic Fantastic Four story in the best ways possible.
1: Oh, yeah. Um, our next issue this week is Force Works number three, which is being released in print, but it was previously released digitally a little over a month ago. Uh, it's written by Matthew Rosenberg with art by Juan Ramirez, colors by Federico Blee and Guru EFX, and letters by VCs Travis Lanham. Uh, we spoke about this issue before. Uh, it really feels like a rogues gallery of Matt Rosenberg, favorite characters from Quake to Mockingbird. Then we, of course have modok as a big part of this story and this issue it's great stuff it's kind of giant robot action uh you know it feels very matt rosenberg to me and if you give me any chance to sing the praises of mr r i will do so uh and this is just a really fun issue
0: i'm going to text him and tell him you called him mr r <laughs> and i want to get his his reaction to that uh the next book is also a book previously released digitally on june 17th it is ghost spider number 10 written by sean mcguire art by iguara colors by ian herring and letters by vcs clayton cowles this is the final issue of the run unfortunately but it sort of sets everything up and puts things in place for us to see where gwen can be again if you want to go back and hear our full thoughts check out the show from the week of june 17th
1: um next up this is a brand new issue it's hellions number three and it's written by Zeb Wells, with art by Steven Segovia, colors by David Curiel, and letters by VCs Ariana Mar. If I could say anything about this series so far, and about this issue in particular, it's that it really feels like it captures the kind of chaotic spirit of a team uh, comprised of these mutants and of course kind of led by mr sinister because uh, it feels kind of unmoored in a way that i really love uh in a way that you never feel like you know what's going to happen next you know i i've been super excited to see the kind of corner of the new status quo that hellions is going to occupy and going to make their own um and this issue is all action. There is so much stuff that goes down in here. It's another one of those issues where I'm kind of like disbelieving what moves are being made uh and the amount of story that's being told in here um there is really really great stuff i am becoming more and more a fan of nanny and orphan maker yes Uh, with every single issue it is like that is kind of like one of the bright spots of an already excellent book there's a lot built in here some of it seems counterintuitive but just works perfectly and like i said i'm here for the nanny orphan maker stuff all day
0: Let's just start an offshoot that is just a Nanny (laughs) and Orphan Maker podcast. I bet we could get every member of the X-Men creative team to join in for an episode. (laughs) Uh, All right, we got to go to a different part of the Marvel Universe with Iron Man 2020, number six. This is the wrap-up of the big 2020 storyline. It is written by Dan Slott and Christos Gage, art by Pete Woods, and letters by VCs Joe Caramagna. This is just the big wrap-up, not just to this iron man 2020 storyline and all the, like the tie-ins and everything but it's a wrap-up to arno Stark's story it's a wrap-up to this era of iron man it's a wrap-up to um what dan slot and christos had been working on dan in particular with you know the last couple of years it's interesting how you see how it sets stuff up for the future of the character how it takes everything that they had like thrown up in the air and caused chaos with and putting the pieces back together it's like it's fascinating about Dan Slott and how he works. And, you know, Pete Wood's art, just gorgeous, just freaking amazing. There's something neon feeling about his work. It's some really amazing double page spreads throughout this. And um, I can't wait to see what Pete does after this. I like I need more.
1: Yeah, definitely agreed. Um, and hey, sticking in the 2020 corner of the Mighty Multiverse, we have up next I Wolverine 2020 number two. Uh, and in terms of the checklist of everything going on uh, 2020, this actually is the penultimate issue. So uh, this one may or may not have that big of an impact narratively, but at least in terms of the checklist, it's worth noting that this one comes right before uh, Iron Man 2020 uh, number six uh, as the last issue. So with this one, it is written by the legend Larry Hama with art by Roland Boshi, colors by Andres Mosa, and letters by VCs. Joe Sabino. This is really, really fun stuff that I I remember really enjoying the first issue of, and it has this kind of really excellent neon 80s action movie take on Madripoor as we follow along with a robot doppelganger of Wolverine. Um, the uh, dynamic that we find between Wolverine and the other kind of tiny, uh, robot person, LCD, uh, is, uh, so much fun in here. You know, I think these two issues are like exactly what the doctor orders with uh, a little kind of mini event, like, uh, all the Iron Man 2020 stuff has asked for just because, um, it's so strange. It's so different. You're not getting anything else like it. Um, and at the end of the day, it's written by Larry Hama. So what else could you ask for, especially, uh, with a Wolverine story, um, even if we're uh, talking about old Albert here. But uh, yeah, really enjoyed this one.
0: I, I love this book so much. Um, it's like a big, over-the-top 80s action movie. Like, I freaking love this book. Oh, man, Larry rules. What also rules is Spider-Man Noir number 3, written by Margie Stoll, art by Juan Ferreira, letters by VCs Travis Lanham. Um, I highly suggest, if you have the means, to go to find a local comic shop, read this book in print. Because to experience the double page spreads is the way it should be Uh, for, you know, uh, pull back the curtain a little bit. Tucker and I, because of everything that's going on, have to read over um, digitally PDFs that don't keep the spreads for any Mm -hmm. book that we read. So it's like every time we get an issue of Immortal Hulk, like my heart hurts a little bit uh, because we don't have the same way to read them that we would normally if we were getting the, the make readies or the print or whatever. But, you know, it's fine. Just you're going to really love this issue and to see some of the storytelling that is done because Juan Ferreira, he goes widescreen. And he, he's been doing that for the last couple of years for us. And here's no exception. There's This book is like a bit of Indiana Jones, a bit of Casablanca, a bit of, um, you know, your, your classic Spidey, tons of Spider-Man noir vibes and feel. You get Spider-Man versus Electro. Um, it's got cool twists and turns and villains and really like nasty bad guys and awesome good guys. Um, also, Electro is one of the few uh, Marvel characters I could cosplay without having to shave my mustache, so I'm into it.
1: <laughs> oh yeah. Um, now heading over to the world of Star Wars. Uh, next up this week is Star Wars Doctor Aphra, number three. It's written by Alyssa Wong with art by Marika Cresta, colors by Rochelle Rosenberg. And Letters by VCs Joe Caramagna. Uh, you know, it's it's really fun starting a new series because you have the first book, which is the opening salvo. You have the second book, which I always feel like, all right, now we're really digging into the story. Now with this third uh, issue, I feel like it's almost the first one that is, you know, we're, we're completely at ease in terms of we know a lot of the new characters. We know these kind of supporting characters that have been introduced um and we're just with it we're going we're on this story and this is such a dr Afra story it is such a space archaeologist story in the best ways you know it has the kind of uh high stakes high pressure heist feel both like heist and escape at the same time uh which is so much fun you know it really gets to the root of this character in the best way uh through all of that and of course uh, we are continuing to get to know these characters that I mentioned before, including uh, one of my favorites, Ronan Tag, who is, uh, you know, just one of those delightfully bad uh, dudes around that I think really spices up a story like this. Uh, Alyssa's writing of, of these new characters has been such a delight and so, so impressive, so exciting, and so much fun to read all along. Like I said, I love this. Uh, I love these characters and I really, really enjoy the direction this book's going.
0: Uh, All right. We're getting into some X-Men stuff now with X-Factor number two, written by Leah Williams, art by David Baldion, colors by Israel Silva, and letters by VCs Joe Caramagna. I just got to say, this book has mojo and David Baldion maybe draws the best mojo outside of Arthur Adams, like who helped create the character. But man his mojo is weird and beautiful in that like gross nasty way uh mojo is the ruler of the mojo verse which is basically governed by entertainment and whoever creates the most great entertainment rules and so now mojo is getting into streaming and it's so perfect it's funny and it's got a lot of like sly humor and throwbacks to other Marvel stories and to X-Men history. Uh plus it has the best new addition to the pets of the Marvel universe in Amazing Baby, who is the war Wolf uh pup, I guess, who is just like this tiny little silver wolf alien monster that is covered in blood at one point in this issue. It's great. Uh, it's, great dialogue too leah has a wonderful exchange between prodigy and docken where they're calling each other nerd and slut and it's hilarious (laughs) uh
1: the next x book that we're diving into this week is x-men number 11 it's written by jonathan hickman with art by lineal francis Yu, colors by sunny go and letters by vcs clayton cowles i i don't know how i'm surprised every time but there's so much packed into this issue because one we kick off with with a great scene featuring the Summoner, a character that I am both fascinated and super creeped out by. It is an incredible design, uh, a- incredible look for this character, a character that um, I think we'll be seeing more of uh, in the future. But uh, from there, this becomes really a Magneto story um, as we see Magneto throw down with the Kutati. You know, with everything going on in the world of the mutants right now, I, I, I feel myself craving all the time more and more Magneto stuff. Um, one of my favorite characters and this issue, um, I think, is a really great one. I think does it justice in a bunch of different ways because... Uh, It ties into all of that business, but, you know, it feels like a a simultaneously both like a great contained story here, but also um, you can feel the the larger hands at work, so to speak. You can feel the momentum moving forward. Um, And now, of course, Ten of Swords is right on the horizon, and we're going to be jumping into that um, uh, in a really, really big way. Uh, so yeah this is a really really great issue of x-men and uh, of course just a a a great sounding of of more things to come
0: yeah final issue of the week is x-men god loves man kills extended cut number two uh so it reprints the back half of the original x-men god loves man kills graphic novel by chris claremont and brent anderson with the new uh material here by chris and brent um that ties into Kitty Pride and some other stuff that Chris has done. Uh it's got some extra bells and whistles in there. And look, it's X-Men, God Loves Man Kills, one of the greatest X-Men stories of all time. If you never read it, these extended cuts are a perfect addition to uh your X-Men collection.
1: Oh yeah. That's what we have for individual issues on sale this week. Now coming in print. For collections we have ant-man world hive avengers by jonathan hickman the complete collection volume one dawn of x volume seven fallen angels by brian hill volume one Starenko is revolutionary and x-men epic collection proteus
0: it's a hell of a bunch of good collections in there Uh, i'm excited for these complete collections of jonathan's avengers All right, on Marvel Unlimited, a whole bunch of stuff in there. 2020 uh, Machine Man, number one. Marvel's Black Widow Prelude, issue number two. Marvel's Voices uh, is now on Marvel Unlimited. We just announced the new Marvel's Voices, uh, Indigenous Voices, one-shot. That's coming in November, so you can read this and uh, get a sense of the cool storytelling you're going to get in Marvel's Voices. And, uh, of course, Wolverine, number one. Big, big one, a book that we love by uh, Ben Percy and Adam Kubert and Victor Bogdanovich and crew. So, uh, some really great stuff if you are a Marvel Unlimited subscriber. Let's go talk to Mr. Philip Kennedy Johnson about Captain America, about uh, being in the army, about making music, and so much more. Let's do it. Philip, welcome to the show. How you doing? I'm doing great. How are you guys? Doing fantastic. Uh, so Philip, you are uh, you're a veteran, or you're are you still in the army? I'm active duty, yeah. Active duty, which is uh, amazing that you're active duty and writing comics and you know creating and performing music. Uh, how do you have all this time to do all this this stuff?
2: It's actually super easy, man. You just like struggle all the time, <laughs> uh, you just sleep way too little, and um, shortchange
0: people when you need to, and that's, yeah, it's no problem. <laughs> Um, how did you start to get into comics? Um, because we, I, this is the first time I've ever spoken to you. Um, first time we've had you on a Marvel podcast. And uh, I'm excited for our fans and our listeners to, to get to know you a little bit more. So how did you get into the world of comics?
2: I don't remember a time... Without comics, Like, I, I learned to read from comics as a little kid, you know. My dad would bring home these boxes of ripped up old issues, and I, like, learned what words were from them, you know. So, I mean, they were always there. And even as a little kid, I wanted to be, a, I mean, my whole life I've kind of just wanted to, the things I love I wanted to do them. I mean, I didn't want to just, like, watch sports or watch, you know, TV shows and read books. I wanted to make stuff, too, you know. So I would just draw all the time. And I just wanted to make books like the ones I was reading. And that's, that's really how I got into it. I was I wanted to, to be an artist when I was little and, and all the way through high school until um, I was playing music also. And eventually I kind of went that way. So I, I took um, when I left high school, I studied music rather than, than art, but it could have very easily gone the other way.
1: How uh, can you talk about your arrival to Marvel? We'll talk a little bit later about the work that you've been doing. Uh, especially recently which I've been a massive fan of but can you talk about your your journey to uh to Marvel itself?
2: Yeah, totally. Well, Thanks for your kind words in the books. It's I'm yeah. really stoked about to do camp, More to come, obviously. more to come. Yeah. <laughs> um man, how do I get to Marvel. So, um well I so I did a book called Warlords of Appalachia and that that was at Boom Studios and there's a, a talent guy at Marvel who who read Mar- uh, Warlords and himself was from Kentucky, I think, or from that area, and it really spoke to him, and he reached out, we talked about it, and he started sharing it around the office, and that book was kind of my foothold uh, into into Marvel. The book itself is about a a world after the second American Civil War, and Kentucky's become an occupied nation within U.S. borders, and uh, that was... My introduction to all of the marvel editors because they all had this, this book then they were all reading it and they were doing these anniversary books to celebrate 80th anniversary of marvel and one of them was war as hell which is a war book that marvel did way back in the day and they wanted to put out a one shot and the one shot was going to be two shorts one of which was going to be written by and illustrated by shaken howard shaken and the other was gonna be mine and, and howard is this legendary dude and i was you know, really surprised that I was going to be the other, the other guy in the book. I'm like, well, I, yeah, I mean, I'm not going to say no to that. But they paired me up with a you know amazing artist, and I had this idea that I wanted to do. I um I have these friends and colleagues in the, in the military who've done these amazing things, and um I knew this ranger who had these unbelievable stories from Iraq and Afghanistan. He would just like his whole gig over there was just going out on night raids, and he talked about that job, what it was like, and what it does to you, and. Uh, it started to percolate this uh, idea about a thing called a, a war devil that was like a the concept of war as um, as a mythological creature that like passes through the blood of the people, the blood you spill from other people. like It infects you, and then you pass it on. And that became the short story that we called War Devil. Um, that was in that War is Hell Issue. That was with Nick Lowe on the editor job. You know It was well-received, and then later on I got a call to do marvel zombies and that was incredibly fun so we, we just did the, the one shot first that became the introduction to this mini-series is about to come out now and then that led to the captain america call which obviously is a dream come true for any serviceman and it's you know he he embodies the army values like the the things that we're all supposed to live up to he is that thing you know so to be able to write cap is incredible honor and that that issue uh,
0: issue three of that series comes out today we're super stoked yeah going through on marvel unlimited the um the war is hell issue because i as you were starting to talk about i was like flashing back to remembering and i remember the eyes that we see throughout that like really stuck with me when we read it last year and and sort of like that just there's a haunting like feeling to that story so thank you um, Yeah, yeah
2: Raphael albuquerque did the art and he crushed it on that book is a very strong contrast uh, with Shaken's book. Shaken has this encyclopedic knowledge of music, which is cool. Um, when I met him in the past, I told him like kind of offhandedly that I used to play in the Glenn Miller band. When he realized we could really talk about this stuff, it was really like he was like excited, and I was excited obviously. And um, and his his story in that issue is about Glenn Miller. It's about uh, <laughs> it's about the music of Glenn Miller during World War II and like the the downing of his plane and all that. You know, and mine is about Kicking in doors in Afghanistan and shooting people in their underwear, <laughs> like it's, and just like the 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 nature of violence and how it spreads from person to person, um, just a, it's a much darker story than, than Howard's, and it's a very very different thing
0: in the same issue. But it was really cool to be able to share a book with him. Sure, I mean yeah, like you said, Chicken's a legend, and I I remember he would do he and Klaus Jansen would do artist like clinics at Marvel headquarters years ago uh-huh. and they would bring in some of the younger artists and then you would watch like various people would try to like creep into the room just to like gleam knowledge from from howard and what he yeah could share it was, it's incredible
2: it doesn't surprise me at all he's, he just knows so much about so much it's it's awesome obviously not just about music i mean about comics too he just he's he's seen it all you know
1: philip I'm, I'm i see this as a a nice little segue into talking about Captain America proper and your work on the the Empire Titan has been uh, really incredible there's some great kind of eco horror aspects to it it kind of blends genres in a really interesting way but what it has done the kind of most strikingly for me is it really feels like you are on the ground floor of everything that's happening not just in terms of looking up and seeing the scale of the action and kind of being awed by that alongside the supporting characters. But in those quiet moments, especially, I think some of those moments where the soldiers uh, interact with Cap or have a private moment where they talk about him, it feels very intimate and it just feels, you know, it feels like you're really in conversation with the people in that book. Can you talk about your fandom of Captain America and then from there, once you uh, entered the military, maybe what new perspective you got on Steve Rogers from being a, a, a serviceman? Oh, man. it's a lot. So Cab is one of those characters where they, when they speak,
2: you need to just kind of lean in and really listen, you know? Like he's, he has this gravitas to him that, that really makes him matter. World War II, to me, World War II feels like his place. All Captain America stories, I, I want them to tie back to World War II in some way, even if it's not a big way. Like it needs to, you need to be reminded of who he is and where he's from. And the thing about World War II is that that was that was a war in which we don't look back and wonder if we did the right thing. We saved the world, <laughs> you know. It's we the Nazi is is nature's perfect villain. That's <laughs> you know more so than zombies or killer robots or any damn thing. So I mean Cap. That he represents the very best of what America should be and what we can do. And especially times like now, we need that. Like, when he speaks, we all want to listen. We all want to be shown the way by someone like Cap. When you're talking about writing a character like that, it makes the dialogue so important. I mean, he needs to just sound and feel different than everyone else. And I really wanted to show—and actually, this directive came from me from on high. Like, when we were doing the book, they wanted a book that was almost like Band of Brothers, and that's— That's what we set out to do. So instead of having it be, you know, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. or The Avengers, you were in there with actual soldiers, and I really like that idea. And I feel like I'm uniquely qualified to do it as, you know, someone who knows those people. In comics, you're often trying to tell stories that really matter to you, but dress them up in comic booky ways and keep it exciting and make it larger than life and genre, um, but still make it about things that matter and that are true on a fundamental level, you know? And so writing real soldiers into it Interacting with somebody like Cap, who is so far removed from them, you know, time-wise and what he's been through, is this really, really fun thing that I wanted to do. I want to show, like, a new team of Howling Commandos is just people in uniform and not, not uh, the larger-than-life characters that Howling Commandos themselves have become.
0: Um, and, you know, having this conversation, talking to you, reading these stories and particularly as well, the stories that we are going to be talking about for the reading club reminds me of it, it's been interesting because I've also just recently read Tom Scioli's biography of Jack Kirby um, that just came out. And it's it's incredible. Um, I, I want everybody to read that. and It's, it's wild. And thinking about Jack's experience. Creating Captain America, then going to war and living through the horrors of horrors that he saw, and is detailed in, in a lot of what Tom you know researched and put together, and then coming back and then putting that into Captain America. Um, I don't think of horror stories and Captain America tied together all the time, but it like they they are so intrinsically entwined, especially what you were talking about of bringing Captain America back to World War II, and so much of that is just so devastating on so many levels and and how that is just a part of the character's dna
2: yeah i i really like horror stuff i i i find that taking people who are not necessarily associated with horror um putting them in a horror scenario or adding a horror element um is just really i don't know it just makes sense to me like i there's some books that i think should should be horror a lot more often. And yeah, given a chance to talk about war with Cap, definitely, I don't know, I just really, yeah, it just made sense to me.
0: Do you have any favorite Captain America stories? Not necessarily that influenced any of your work, just stuff that, you know, you as a fan just go, man, I freaking love that book, that story.
2: Man, Ed Brubaker's run was so good, dude. And I, I know I'm not like breaking down barriers by saying that. I mean, everyone loves I mean, He's literally in Winter Soldier, you know, like everyone <laughs> recognizes that Ed Brubaker's <laughs> the man. Um, I've read everything he ever did with Sean Phillips. I've read all his cap stuff. He just crushes it. He crushes his character. Crushes, like the way he brought back Bucky was just the best, coolest thing ever. I mean, by far, the <laughs> Ed Brubaker run is like the standout for me. That's, that was just an incredible book.
0: Um, so we're going to be talking about zombies and vampires and stuff. Uh, Tucker, before I'll let you get your question before we go, but just, I'm curious, you know, favorite marvel horror stories or characters in you know similar vein Um, because we have a pretty good array of 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 creepy characters um my favorite
2: marvel horror i mean the stuff that we are going to talk about today is like tippy top of that list but i also really like immortal hulk going on now That, That book is crushing it bendis did a book that's actually in the icon line technically a Marvel book called Torso. Do you guys know that book? Mm -hmm. Of course, yeah. I really dig Torso. I thought that was a really great book. Um, Aside from that, like most of my, a lot of the stuff that I would name as favorite Marvel horror are just things that have like horror elements, like the way they weave horror elements into books that you wouldn't necessarily call horror books, like uh, uh, Uncanny X-Force that Reminder did, had a lot of really scary stuff that was super well done, or just creepy moments. Same thing with uh, the Hood, the original Hood story. That was in Max. Um, that was a great book, man. And that's not exactly a horror story, but his origin kind of is. And there are again enough creepy elements to keep me to keep me hooked on it. You know.
1: We've uh, we've spent a lot of time on this show talking about how fun it is to read books with the lead character. That's just the worst <laughs> and just an absolute jerk and how much fun that can be right um but uh hey speaking of all these uh horror elements like ryan was alluding to let's dive into our reading club books this week uh we're starting off uh with a couple of issues from the early 80s with the first one being captain america 253 philip could you talk about your first time reading this issue man i honestly don't remember it's been forever i um
2: i dug it up again for this but i i the first time I read this, I was just, just a kid, you know, I knew that it was, I knew how cool it was that Cap was this guy from way back in the day. Now he's, now he gets to fight stuff, you know, here again too. And seeing him pair up with an old guy that he used to fight, you know, bad guys with in World War II and seeing that guy, that guy old, but Cap's not old. And then they get to team up again. I remember how cool that was for me, but, uh, but also the mystery of who the who the the vampire was and as a, as a kid it really sucked me in it was cool to you know come back to it years later and see how it all played out
0: yeah you know you chose captain america 601 for us to talk about i hadn't read it in years but i was like i love that let's we usually do a bunch of stories so let's pick one something else so i picked 253 and 254 because i always think of when we talk about creepy cool captain america stories Captain America versus a Nazi vampire is just, like, how do you get better than that? Nature's perfect villain. (laughs) Exactly, yeah. Uh, I didn't even realize at first when I chose these that 601 was a vampire story. In my head, it was a zombie story. So when I went and read 601 after these, I was like, oh, man, this was even a more perfect match than I could have hoped for, Uh, because 253 and 254, they are co-plotted, by Roger Stern and John Byrne. Uh, Stern does the writing and Byrne is on art. Inks by Joe Rubinstein, colors by Bob Sharon, letters by Jim Novak. And um, that is a dynamic 1980s creative team. You know, Stern has huge runs on CAP and Avengers and tons more. And of course, Byrne's just starting to fire on all cylinders. Cause this 253 comes out October 14th, 1980. His X-Men stuff is what it is. He's got Fantastic Four is probably percolating in his mind. He comes in, he does these, they do this two issue story and Cap teaming up with Union Jacks is so cool. Even if you don't know all that history of World War II and those stories. Um, Yeah, so I recommended 601 and when you
2: recommended like the other ones, uh, I was like, oh my God, I wish I'd thought of that because it even refers to that. I mean, Six and One even talks about Baron blood. It's like, you check his grave? And it refers back to the last time, you know, just just in passing, it's this great way of rewarding readers who know Marvel history without punishing those who don't. You know, it was really cool that they tied together just a little bit um, and even have all these similarities, really. Like, um, you know, Brubaker wrote the new one, which, again, we've established I love that dude, and he uses a lot of the same... um, devices storytelling devices that they use in that first story like this these two old war buddies retelling or reliving that that old horror story kind of like a horror mystery from from back in their day 253 the the and even the new one i guess not completely it's not like the thing that would keep you up at night wondering for days and days who could it possibly be i mean you can kind of figure it out but it's you don't really know what's happening in either story until it all plays out it's not just like there's this big bad guy we need to figure out how to how to Beat him. <laughs> it's like get out there and punch the robot a little bit harder, or like get on his back next time. It's like there's an actual like mystery going on that you have to pursue, that makes it more of an actual story. You know, like unlike some comics, they're just like a, a single issue and you just get in there and kick his ass. Um, so it's so much more compelling in that way. And to see those two stories tie together too was just super awesome.
1: I love that element of just of reading comics, and I think specifically probably in a like pre Marvel Unlimited age where it's just like you got what you got and sometimes you're just like left with your final page of cap being like held by the throat by a vampire and you're just never know if you're gonna find out what's gonna happen to to that part of the story
0: i i also I uh, you know i love baron blood's look because it's kind of goofy but he's still so freaking scary in his design of like with those wings and those lanky arms but even cap's like i forgot how how strong he is he you know he's just looks like an old withered man but he just beats the crap out of cap at times um and then tucker have you ever read these two issues
1: no it's is my first time
0: yeah would you so did you know about this story because for me the the big you know sort of cap moment in 254 as i mentioned is is so key um had you known anything about this one going in
1: i think i might have heard it a little bit in terms of like just the discussion of like the marriage between a cap story with this like seemingly incongruous like other genre of like cap and vampire something or something more specifically that is feels very of an era like very you know 70s early 80s kind of story i think i might have heard you know uh, kind of heard a reference or or talked about in, in in terms of those things but not in any specifics really um so it was really really cool i with this kind of thing it just is so um atmospheric and i just love existing in not just the story itself but the kind of meta aspect of it as well of of the story but it's also the early 1980s impression of uh london of that time of that place um with the rain and the darkness and the kind of flashlights in the dark all of that stuff um i I kind of enjoy it that as much as the actual story itself
0: yeah um for for anybody who hasn't read this and doesn't want it spoiled captain america has to go to a darker place than at the time than we had really seen him go um and it has some really great pacing and storytelling on on this page where cap has to really finish off Baron blood in a way and so i would definitely suggest uh if you haven't read these yet it's 253 and 254 of captain america um and tucker i'll let you tag in in a second. But if you want more, uh, if you've read these and you want more Union Jack, there's a 1999 limited series by Ben Robb and drawn by John Cassidy. There's also a 2006 limited series that I absolutely love. It's by Christos Gage and Mike Perkins, which I, I can't stress enough. That is really, really good. And then the Invader series of the 1970s has, as Philip, you were mentioning, you know, like nature's perfect villains. It's got them a plenty and like nazi super soldiers and crazy crazy plans and it is bonkers and wild uh it's it's a it's a riot that invader series yeah man good recommendations another really cool thing about seeing the old
2: book in uh, contrast with the 601 is the the writing style how how much things have changed because like that old book back then so much of it hung on the heavy language you know like there's just a ton of language on the page and they would just kind of spell everything out with the words much more so than the art or at least as much as and these days the best as you guys know like these days it's just so much more hanging on the the, uh, on the artwork the best modern comics rely much more on the art to tell the story especially with a writer like Brubaker who's famously sparse you know his dialogue in like the best ways it was cool to see the how much the different you know the panel layouts and the and the writing style have changed from from back then to now
1: i was thinking of of the same exact thing you you look at some of those pages in 253 and 54 that are just they seem like literally if you added them all up half of the page is just um dialogue and captions and things like that which is you know it's something that we talk about often with writers who may be new to comics or writing the very first comics sometimes we read at marvel could you talk about your learning curve in terms of that in terms of having to really be as efficient as possible with language and maybe where your instincts were going versus what you knew you had to achieve just as a a decades-long comics reader um, and how difficult that learning curve is? Sure. I mean, anyone who's
2: cut their teeth on prose writing, like storytelling in novel form, or when you get used to comics, you have to get used to the idea of brevity, You know where the you're you're writing for pictures, and the pictures need to carry the weight of it. We've we've learned that lesson through generations of seeing captions and dialogue get shorter and shorter, (laughs) and we realize (laughs) we don't need that much. Um, You know, and I grew up on the old books, like even older, like the books that I read growing up were old when I got them, and um, I grew up reading this very verbose style. You know, tons of thought balloons, and um, so as you're first writing scripts, and then first seeing them become comics, you know, in the revisions. At least I can only speak for myself, of course, but when I saw my own book come back, I'm like, wow, that looks busy as hell. So I'm going to have to cut out a lot of this. So now, by the time an editor gets a first draft, quote unquote, it's actually like second or third, because I'm like, okay, here's the the perfect story that I would love to tell if time and space was not an issue. And and then I go through the whole thing again. I make uh, the most concise version of that story I can possibly get away with. And give that to be read by others, and uh, because I really don't want to give the letter too much to do, and even no matter what I do, I swear it always looks a little different than I imagine, and I make little changes like things that um, that I think will will look great or sound great with this particular face that the artist drew. But yeah, it's for me, it's all about brevity, just learning to to not overwrite, just try to carry as much weight as you can with as few words as possible so you're not covering up any more of the art than you really need to. That's the biggest part of the learning curve or has been for me at least. So for me, it's just brevity, brevity, brevity and let the artist and the letterer do um, their most elegant work by not overburdening them.
1: Uh, As a writer, what is your innate kind of process in terms of coming up the visuals of a story? I was thinking of that because not just because Stern and Byrne, you know, have such a specific look just by their very nature of the way they, they work together to tell that story. But then when you look at 601, it is, you know, it's a great, like you said, it's a great study in how comics have changed uh, over the years. But it's, it's also done in, in a rather unusual way, or at least a pretty bold vision uh, in terms of uh, completely breaking expected panel structure, things like that. Uh, and it comes together in this really nice kind of painterly style for you. I know there's not one answer. There's a million different answers and it's really often tied just to, you know, someone's own instincts, but for you, how do you see the story in your head? And then how do you convey that to your collaborators?
2: Um, I like to find out who the artist is as soon as possible. As soon as I find out who it's going to be, I'll look up a ton of their work and just get an idea of their, their tendencies. Um, and of course, some of those tendencies are dictated by the writers, but just as much as possible, I like to see their style and how what I think their strengths are. Um, I also usually ask the artist, what do you really love to draw? Is there anything that you just love drawing? I uh, do not often dictate layout because the artist is the, the cinematographer. You know, I, I try not to, I don't want to micromanage anyone because I hate me micromanage myself. As far as deciding on the imagery, I really don't overthink it because I don't want to do anyone else's job for them
0: um uh, so we're starting to talk about now 601 which is as you mentioned written by edward baker art by gene colin colors by dean white and then you have letters by Dave lanfear and um man gene colin is an artist i knew of as i was younger but most of his like major marvel work was before i was really reading and last year, when we were celebrating the 80th anniversary, it was when I did a deep dive into Gene's work. And truly like went, oh, this guy is the shit. He freaking rules. And how long has he ruled? Sixty years. It's <laughs> I know, man. bananas. This was Gene's final Marvel story in a I think it's an over 60-year career. Which is, it like boggles the mind. He, I think he drew the cover to the last Captain America comic of the 40s. Like there's just wild connections to between his work on Captain America and and his career at Marvel. And of course, vampires, because of the work he did with Tomb of Dracula. And just, I can't speak highly enough of Gene Cullen's art. And then to see someone of his age come in. You know and just do this book this like 45 page special story that is really creepy and weird and cool um i imagine ed had the best time writing this for gene god this would be a dream come
2: true to write this yeah Baker crushed this book so did gene colon who has been crushing it for like Many lifetimes. <laughs> he's <like just laughs> unbelievable. He's like, you know, he's like this Joe Cuber guy who's just been doing this unbelievable work his entire life, his entire adult life. This issue has a great deal of meaning to me. I mean, it was cool to see that first book come out, 253, because I knew it as a kid. But this book is part of my origin story as a comic writer. So when I was finished in high school, I was looking at doing either art or music, and ended up doing music. I had a younger brother, 10 years younger, who went the other way, and he is doing art. But he didn't know didn't really know how to continue. He and I both grew up in this house in the sticks, no internet to speak of, and wasn't going to just move to New York. So like, what do you do? So like, well, hey, move in with me. And I'll get you, you know, if you want, like the the military has all, is like over 200 jobs at the time. And one of them is literally called Multimedia Illustrator. And you literally draw for the army. You just literally put together pamphlets or artwork or take photos and that's the gig. And they'll, they're training you on how to use Photoshop and InDesign and Illustrator and every other damn thing. It's amazing. So if you want, if that's interesting to you, you know, I'll help you get in shape. I'll teach, I'll help you get ready for the ASVAB. We'll, we'll do this thing. And he was like, yeah, we're all in. So he moved in with me and we started going to cons together. I didn't know crap about comics either. I bought um, a book on how to make comics by Andy Schmidt, former Marvel
0: editor. Hey, I love Andy. Good old Schmidt. man. Yeah. yeah. That,
2: that book kicks ass too. Yeah. And uh, they just happened to have it in my local library and we picked it up and it turned out to be great. Started going to conventions together just learning about how the business worked together with the point being to make books together. Like I was going to write stuff for him to illustrate uh, because I had enjoyed creative writing back in the day, but never really done much with it. I mean, certainly not since I was done with school. I was just playing the trumpet for the army and doing army stuff. And I also found this really awesome comic store in Annapolis, Maryland called Third Eye Comics. That was super small. had just barely started. So I started going to that store regularly and Captain America 601 was one of the things that caught my eye. I was like, I've seen this guy before. And I had some, I'd had some old Jane Cullen book. I was like, oh, it's the same dude. And this is new. And it was amazing. And I couldn't believe how great the story was. And I, so I, I got it and I was in the car flipping through it. And I ended up reading the whole thing in the car. And then I went back inside and I bought two more of that book so I gave my brother one, and I got gave the other one away to somebody. I don't remember who now. But you're welcome, whoever you are. I that book kicks ass. <laughs>
0: uh, Tucker, you mentioned sort of the painterly feel of this, and that's Gene, but also Dean White. And um, oh, it's I, incredible. I, you know, I I love Dean's colors. He has a very specific palette. I think of like his reds and blues tend to pop out at me. And he's you know does a lot of work with JRJR. Um, but this here, it's just like it's so creepy and cool the way that. They depict vampires. They're like just teeth everywhere, and the claws, and those fingers, and it is, man, yeah. I love this story so much. I thank you for suggesting this one because it's been a, too long since I read it. And oh, was perfect, man. And, it's I, good. and as far, and you're right, Dean
2: White is he's another one like he's, he has that painterly style. that suits jeans pencils so he's like the perfect colors for this book. I know Dean a little bit. And he's he's incredible. The same thing on like Uncanny X Force, the other stuff that he did just he just crushes it all the time and yeah like you're right about the way they look so monstrous like as soon as somebody turns in that book they immediately change like this huge change and um the quiet moments you guys were talking about earlier too that's the the moment in that book that i remember the most distinctly is the opening where um they're you know it's just bucky and cap in his house in the rain in the dark and occupied france or wherever they are and um he just you know he's just talking to the soldier as he as he dies and you don't know what's coming yet Ugh. and it's just that powerful like the kids are like it's so cold here and it's just such as these quiet moments are those moments that you remember more distinctly than the action you know and that's that has made a huge impact on me that's that's a moment in um, maybe more than any other book that right, i where a conversation that has stuck with me and kind of it's a, a lesson to me as a writer. Like that's that's one of the moments I'm trying to capture as a writer. Those conversations that, that stick with the reader more so than than an action scene or any big flashbang thing
0: happening.
1: Yeah,
0: absolutely. Some really excellent storytelling here. Um, Philip, we, uh, we are getting set to uh, get our teeth sunk into your Marvel Zombies Resurrection. You and Leonard Kirk and crew, it's going to be exciting. Um, any last words you want to leave us with before we uh, we wrap up here? Man, just that I am... It's been
2: an honor to write Cap. I love writing Cap. i love to do it anytime. Um, the process of Marvel Zombies has been just a joy. And again, it's just a... A chance to write horror in a in a fun superheroy way that I cannot wait for readers to see. I know there's been a long wait since the, the Prelude issue that we wrote, that we um, put out last year due to COVID and all that, but now it's finally coming out and the whole the whole miniseries is done. It's a very different take. I want everyone to know this very different take than the original. Like the the Kirkman version is definitely super fun, but I knew I wanted to take a, a different tack. I wanted to take a, an approach to approach to horror that's that has much higher emotional stakes. Takes it all was way more seriously and makes readers super invested. It's not like a. Whereas the first one was kind of a fun romp, this one is more like. <laughs> it's not that. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, like Cormac McCarthy meets Marvel Zombies. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds yeah. like it's it's <laughs> super like, harsh and deep and like emotionally impactful, but also with really fun superhero-y moments, kind of breaking that up. You know, so it's still a. A fun, compelling read, even while you're worried for everyone there. You know, it's I'm extremely proud of it. So please pick up if you read one thing from me, please read Marvel Zombies Resurrection. I'm very proud of it.
0: Yeah, I awesome. remember having a visceral reaction to the issue that came out in twenty nineteen and I was like, What this is uh this is a brutal one. And I was like Give me more, give me more. It's uh
2: here's, a- here's the A team. Oh, what's happening? <laughs> so it's uh, yeah, so if that if that issue was Ridley Scott's Alien or Aliens, I guess it'd be more like the James Cameron. This one's more like Cormac McCarthy's The Road,
0: <laughs> but in a but in a very bombastic, you know, superhero way if that makes sense. <laughs> I love it. Uh, and for anybody listening, you can read Marvel Zombies Resurrection the 2019 issue on marvel unlimited that'll get you prepped for the new series the four issue uh series that's coming out and i believe that begins up again next week uh from when this episode releases so perfect timing all around yeah philip thanks so much oh man thanks so much for having me guys thank you dude all right big thanks again to philip kennedy johnson uh of course at the top of the show you heard us talk about his empire captain america issue which just came out this week it is a great limited series uh the character russo seriously give me more of him I'm <laughs> very very much into it and then next week yes we are getting more philip kennedy johnson with marvel zombies resurrection number one by him and leonard kirk uh it's a dark book y'all i'm excited for it but i know i'm just gonna be like ah my heart my poor heart um and as we mentioned with him you can read uh that that first uh prelude issue on marvel unlimited right now and it's a doozy all right, Tucker, that wraps it up for us. This episode of Marvel's Pull List was produced by me, Ryan Panagos, as well as Tucker Marquez, Jorge Estrada, MR Daniel, and Megan Bagala. Jill DeBoff is our director of audio. And the audio development manager for Marvel's Pull List is Brad Barton, who is, you guessed it, a vampire. I knew it. I knew it. You've, you've seen his claws and yeah. those gnarly teeth. Yeah. Man, what a nightmare. <laughs> All right. Thanks, everybody, for listening. I'm Ryan. And I'm Tucker. This is Mark. Your universe.